preaching series right now about you reigning in life, in culture, in and through Jesus. How many of you want to reign in life? Amen. Isn't reigning in life a lot better than life reigning over you? I mean, if you had a choice, I mean, wouldn't that be better? Yes? Wouldn't it be better to reign in life? Romans 5, 17. Let's, uh, let's launch with this verse. And it is such a, it's such a cool passage. Romans 5 is such a cool passage that is a great parallel to Deuteronomy 28. Uh, and it is a New Testament declaration that is so similar to Deuteronomy 28 uh, in terms of us uh, understanding how much God is for us and how much His power is being made available to us and how He has elevated us and set us apart in Jesus. You are hidden in the supreme victor. Jesus is the victorious one. You're hidden in Him. Your life is in Him. Your inheritance is in Him. You can't lose. You can't fail. If you will keep believing, you will see, you will see victory after victory after victory. How many of you know that? How many of you will believe that? Amen? Come on, He's going to put every enemy. If He's putting every enemy of Jesus under His feet and you're in Jesus, guess where he's putting all of your enemies? Under your feet. Amen? Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. For if by the transgression of the one, and we know this is speaking of Adam, the original transgressor, the one that fell that opened up what is called the fall. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace. This is what you've received. What we've received is an abundance of grace and we've received the gift of righteousness. And because we've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, He causes us. We will reign in life through that one, Jesus Christ, who is the last Adam, who is the victorious one. Jesus is the victorious one, the last Adam, the one who is the overcomer. Amen? The Christian will reign in life. Come on, say it with me. I will reign in life. The one who has received and walks in the light of abundant grace. The one who's received and walks in the light of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Now, reign means rule, have a dominant position, experience victory, enforce the dominion that's been granted them, wield supreme influence. That's you. That's you. It doesn't matter what your experience is. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter if you've never had a rain in life day ever before. From this moment on, you need to know something. The Word of God is true, and it declares over you that you shall reign in life. 
You are meant and ordained to reign in life. And this is a moment where you stop fighting it, stop disbelieving it, stop looking at your history, stop disqualifying yourself according to what you've done, and you start accepting and believing that I am one who will, by Christ Jesus, reign in life. Come on, say it again. I will reign in life because I'm in Him. He's in me. My life is wrapped up in Him. Thus I will reign in life. It means rule. It means have a dominant position. It means experience victory. It means enforce the dominion that's been granted to you. It means wield supreme influence. Now, I've been bugging you a little bit here recently, and I can't get away from it. I am sorry. I apologize. But, but today, again, I'm on work. I can't get away from work. And, and I think some of that is because what we're describing here is manifested best in our work. Work being synonymous with purpose. Work being the majority of how we express ourselves. Work being a gift from God. Listen to Ecclesiastics 3, 12 and 13. Everybody say work. I wanted you to say that so you would, you, you would just practice not cussing in church. Say it again, work. I know it's a four-letter word, and I know, I know that it can be detractive sometime and not attractive, but, but I just want you to say it in such a way that you realize that this is a, a powerful gift from God. Everybody say work. Okay, now I guess you go and say, is a gift from God. Whoa. It's true. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. This is the gift of God. Your labor is good. Your labor is good. Your labor is a gift from God. Even if you're in transitionary labor. Some of you are in transitionary labor. That is, you're not exactly where you want to be right now. You're on your way to where you want to be. You're on your way to where you're going to be. But even the work that you have now is a gift from God. Because there's purpose in it. There's power in it. There's expression of faith in it. Amen? Now part of why I feel like work is so important when we talk about reigning in life is that life is comprised of a lot of segments of work. Out of every week, six of them we're going to probably work. Six days shall you And so life is comprised of a lot of compartments that fit into this four-letter category called work. And so we have to see it as a gift from God, and we have to leverage it, because if we're going to reign in life, that means we're going to reign in work. Did you hear me? If you're going to reign in life, and six segments of every week are work, then that means that reigning in life has got to include reigning in work. Yeah? So that means there's a reigning element, there's a reigning element in God and in you that is superimposed upon your work. 
Work is your access in the culture. If work is your access in the culture, then work is God's access in the culture. The fact is, if it weren't for work, you wouldn't have access in the culture. Stay home and evaluate your access in the culture. You have to get out in the culture. There has to be proximity. Amen? If you're not working, you're busy in purpose, right? In other words, if you're not punching a clock somewhere for an exchange monetarily, I'm sure you're still very engaged in purpose. You're still very busy. The retired people in the church tell me that they're more busy than they were when they were employed. But that means they're still busy ing, working. They're still busy. They're still busy engaged in culture, work, an expression of work, expression of labor with regard to purpose is your access in the culture. And if it's your access in the culture, it's God's access in the culture, right? Work is actually where we even bless culture. Did you know God loves it if you would be a blessing to culture? You, Christians are not supposed to be these absent-minded pilgrims that are just punching a spiritual clock until heaven arrives or until they pass away. You are actually salt and light to culture. You are actually the hope of culture. You're the hope of culture. You're the salt and light of culture. If it weren't for you, culture would fall into complete decay. Everything you do in God is preserving and changing and affecting culture. Amen? Work is your, our expression to serve Father with our gifts. Who put those gifts and desire is in you, by the way? Even the craziest, what we would consider secular desires have been placed in you by God because they're not secular, they're sacred. They're sacred. Those desires in you have been put in you by God. He hardwired your computer with certain appetites and taste buds. Some of you toward real estate, some toward music, some toward mechanics, some toward engineering. He hardwired those things in. You, there's programming that's in you that's of God. It's not secular, it's sacred. That's why when we do our work, Colossians 3.23, we do it as unto the Lord. Why? Because He put it in you. Isn't that crazy? Cool? Whoa! So work is our expression to serve Father. Work is our avenue to produce wealth that Father uses to bless others. Work is our doorway into relationships where we minister reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are ministers of reconciliation and God is making His appeal through us. For the most part, as we know it today, there are not angels running around on your job site telling people about the Lord, and uh, uh, you're the one, we're the ones who are the ministers of reconciliation. And so we're anointed to work, we know that. We're anointed to work, but we're anointed as a minister in our work. Created to walk 
in good works. Isn't that cool? Created first, but then we have a purpose, a purpose of good works. Yes? Identity and then purpose. Identity and then purpose. Our identity is in the Lord. Our identity is child of God, son of God, daughter of God. Our identity is wrapped up in relationship. But then out of that comes good works. Amen? Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship. What? He works. He works and we're His workmanship. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Did you know God is God's excited about your... Here's what we do. In Christianity, so many times we make, we spiritualize everything. Like this passage here, we would spiritualize it. And we would say this has nothing to do with mechanics. This has nothing to do with real estate, with sales, with roofing, with construction. This, ha- this is all about This is all about you being a Christian. You're created for good works in Christ Jesus, good Christian works. But it's your works that are good as well. And it's your works vocationally that are the door that give you access into the culture so that you can manifest or represent Jesus in the midst of culture, in the midst of the thing that you're called to, so that wherever you're called, whatever you're gifted in, whatever you love, whatever He put in your heart, there will be the supreme influence of His likeness in that thing. Maybe that sounds crazy to you, but He actually doesn't even want garbage collection to be absent of the presence and the glory and the leading and the coaching and the wisdom of the Spirit of God. He really doesn't want schools to be absent of the leading and the coaching and the wisdom and the glory of God. He really doesn't want any topic. He doesn't want fire science. He doesn't want police protection. He doesn't want... Secret service. He doesn't want real estate. He doesn't want mortgages. He doesn't want anything to be absent of the influence of his coaching, his wisdom, his glory, and his touch. He wants everything because it's all of him. He wants it all to bring glory back to him. Do you believe that? You believe that? You like how I raise my voice at the end? You believe that? That's, that, that's like, thank you, Jonathan. It's like I'm, I'm saying, come on. Come on, we can't, we can't get so spiritual that we miss the practical. Because sometimes we don't realize how much he loves what we do and how much he loves when we present back to him what we do. And that in the midst of us doing what we do, He can be present. He wants to be present. 
I mean, this is the life of Daniel. This is the life of Joseph. This is the life of these Old Testament patriarchs. And and again, I remind you that most of the Old Testament, which is great metaphoric material for us in our everyday spiritual life, it's not about the priesthood. It's not about pastors and preachers. It's about common, everyday people that were called to practical things. And in their calling, they trusted God. And God elevated them because they wouldn't compromise. They put God first. They identified as a believer in God, a child of God through Abraham. And as they identified as a child of God, it also put everything else as second place. Now what I'm saying there is we have to know, we have to know of our relationship with God that we're created first. That working comes second. Because if we flip that around and we put working first, then we'll compromise our identity. We'll be tempted. Everybody say tempted. Because the moment you flip that around and you begin to think of yourself as a worker, you begin to think of yourself as one who works, you begin to think of yourself as one who has vocation first, one who has purpose first, and not sonship or daughter identity. When you begin to think of yourself as a worker first then temptations roll in like a flood. Because all at once now, it becomes all about the profit. If you're a worker first, then temptations of profit can come in. And you can compromise. And there's more temptations of compromise because you're a worker first. You've elevated purpose above identity. So then you're trusting in your own efforts and you're trusting in your own thing. And this is part of the problem with separating what you're called to or what you're involved in in your work, what your vocation is when you separate it from the sacred, when you separate it from God's hand, God's call, God's influence, God's glory, when you separate it and you just make it the thing that you do and you get spiritual at night when you do your devotions. You get spiritual in the morning, but then after devotions you go out and you do your thing. When you separate that and you don't see that everything you're doing is unto the glory of God and God is in the midst of everything you're doing and everything you're doing is because He's put a deposit of Himself in you for that very thing. When you don't see that, then there's such greatness added to the strength of temptation to compromise for the sake of selfish promotion. For the sake of profit. Are you with me today? So I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christ follower first. One made in the image of God first. That's my nature. That's my lineage. That's my identity. Profit is not my number one goal. Representing Father, giving Him glory, receiving from Him, partnering with Him, honesty, purity, loving people by providing for their needs in the culture. These are my goals. These are my goals. This is why Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. Because when you serve God at first and you rest in your identity and you hang on to your identity, then resources will come but you won't need to bow to mammon.
If we put God first, we'll elevate the dignity of others and we'll prosper through God's blessing. Amen? I'm going to give you three keys. We still have time. I don't know how this happened. This is the longest short day I've ever seen in my life. What if I run out of things to say? If I run out of things to say, I'll simply turn the mic over to Miss Joel. Because we know a woman will not run out of things to say. Okay, so reigning in life through work, I want to give you three keys uh, slowly. I'm not going to say quickly because that would be a lie. I'm going to give you three keys, three keys to invading culture. Three keys to reigning in life and invading culture because I really believe God wants us to use our work as that open door into culture. And so three keys, I want to discuss them with you when we think about the seven mountains of culture, education, government, finance, family, religion, entertainment, media. That's kind of our emphasis. We want to reign in life. We want to reign in culture. First key is prayer. First key is prayer. Oh, most of you knew I was going to say that. Wherever we work, we can make a change in that workplace, and it starts in prayer. It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. You know, I'm thinking even when Daniel prayed three times a day, he wasn't just like praying for his future wife. He wasn't praying like a bless me prayer. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking when Daniel prayed three times a day, I mean, we don't have a mem- memorandum on those prayers, but we know that he had a passion. He had a passion for his people. He had a passion for the restoration of the people, and he had a passion for the prosperity of the kingdom, which he'd been called to serve in. Isn't that crazy? Wherever we work, we can make a change, and it starts in prayer. It starts in secret prayer. Amen? Everybody say secret prayer. Now, the reason I say that, I know we're charismaniacs, and I don't want any of you, like, uh, openly grabbing, like, flasks of oil and walking around your company, pouring oil on the doors, speaking in tongues, and, and casting devils out of the building. I really, I, I, it's secret prayer. It's stealthy prayer. It's like bombers. You know, you come over and you drop these bombs of prayer because prayer is spiritual warfare. Things are happening in the spirit realm when you pray, and you don't have to be, like, crazy and goofy. Amen? You know, there's even, there's even pictures in the Old Testament, uh, um, prophetic pictures in the Old Testament, where, where they would take something symbolic and pray over it in symbolism. So the prophets would like take a map or they would erect something that was of a similitude of the thing that they were praying over. In other words, distance doesn't even matter in prayer, Right? Somebody could call me right now from Thailand with a need. I could pray for them over the telephone, and they could receive something right now. I've ministered deliverance to people while they're driving down the road. Oops. While they pulled over. No, they literally did. They, they actually pulled over. They were good. Uh, I'm the one that breaks the law. But nonetheless, they actually pulled over, and I ministered deliverance to them. And it, yeah, while they were on the phone, because prayer doesn't know a distance. Amen? So prayer is important. And, and, and God wants us to see ourselves as the missionary of our workplace, the pastor of our workplace. 
Wow, would you say that one? I am the pastor, the missionary, the sent one to my workplace. You are, the, you are there, not just to work, but you're there to conquer Satan. You're there to overthrow darkness. You're there as the delegate to overthrow blindness, limitation, defeat, failure. Yeah? Oh, I wish you could hear the, the testimony of Jack and Candace. Uh, they were sharing with me this week that the last three months, uh, since the, since the uh, Daniel Fast, they've been declaring things over their business, declaring things over sustainable interiors, declaring things over themselves. And uh, he's at the top of sales. Things have just broken through like crazy as they've just begun to declare, 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 declare profitability over the company, declare profitability over every contract, declare, 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 declare. If you would take the reigning in life posture now, take, take the ambassador posture that you have and begin to pray over your business. Begin to be the Daniel, begin to be the Joseph, begin to be the sent one, the missionary to your business. Amen? Now this means, this means spending a little bit of extra time on your business. And some of us don't want to do that. We're like, Ah, I just want to punch in. I just want to punch out. You know, I just want to give them what they're paying me for and nothing else. That goes to point number two. Another powerful way that we invade culture is we have, as it was with Daniel, a spirit of excellence. Now, a spirit of excellence will set you apart. And by the way, if you start praying over your company, you start praying over your business, you start praying over those who employ you, you start praying over if you're self-employed, your business in this radical way. Talked a couple weeks ago about Joshua, and I embarrassed him. He wasn't in the room, but Joshua praying over Chase Construction and Joshua praying over MacArthur Roofing and the way Joshua prays over his businesses and, and the way he goes after the enemy and the way he, he brings down failure and defeat and poverty and discouragement and blindness and brokenness and some of these things that Joshua's been doing and we see what's happening in his world. If you start doing that, by the way, you may also experience a little bit of persecution. The enemy actually doesn't like that stuff. So if you experience a little bit of persecution, you just got to press through that. Everybody say press through because you will wear that out. You will outlast that. You will outlast that. But, but a second key, a second key into influencing culture and reigning in life is the way we carry ourselves. You are a child of the king. You're a king's kid. Revelation says that we are kings and priests and who are God. As we have to carry ourselves different, you cannot carry yourself the way you did in the world, the way you did before Christ, the way you did in the olden days. You have to carry yourself not in pride, but in confidence, in strength. There's a very fine line between pride and confidence, but pride we can smell and we don't like it. Nobody likes it. Confidence, we can smell that. Looks just like pride, but it smells different. Man, when we discern confidence, we want to be around that. It exudes out of a person. It affects the whole team. It, it strengthens everybody. Confidence is something different. Confidence is from God. And that's what we want. 
And it comes through with an excellent spirit. It says of Daniel in chapter 6 and 3, if we can go there, in chapter 5 and 2, it says he had an excellent spirit. The word there, excellent, it means superior. It means supreme. It means above and beyond. Now, this should be normal for us in the workplace and in our businesses because according to Colossians 3.23, we're not working on demand. We're not working for an hourly wage. We're not working to punch a clock. We're not working as to please the eye of those that are watching over us. We are working as unto the Lord. We're partnering with Him for revolution. We're partnering with Him to be a blessing. We're partnering with Him to see our company go to the top. We're partnering with Him to see breakthroughs in our companies, in our places of employment. And we come with an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit is supreme. It is superior. It is above and beyond. Amen? So this is, this is part of how we carry ourselves. This is part of how we carry ourselves. And this is normal for us. And by the way, by the way, excellence is your key to credibility. If you pray and you, you're praying for the company, and our third point, and I'm not sure that these are in an order of how we work them, but our third key to invading culture is to become a blessing. But come on now, if you're praying, if you're praying and you're, you know, and, and again, this is secret prayer. Everybody say secret prayer. Because you know what? Jesus said, if you'll pray in secret, I'll reward you openly. And, and, and that first realm or place of prayer is how we begin to practice Matthew 16, 19. Everybody say Matthew 16, 19. Whatsoever you bind will be bound. Whatsoever you loose will be loosed. Right? So we begin to practice that in the secret place of prayer. We begin to bind up the enemy that's working in our company. Strife, division, jealousy, envy, confusion, fighting. We begin to bind up the things that are working in our company. We begin to get discernment over those things, and we begin to say that they have to stop working in our company. We begin to exercise authority, the authority of Jesus, from a supreme dominant position. This works in your family, too. Then we begin to lose things, and this is the blessing part. We begin to lose things. We begin to lose blessings in our, in our, in our company. This is, we're doing this from a place of secret prayer, but then out in the open, we begin to live in a blessed way, a blessing way. Because blessing opens the door for the glory of God to invade a person's life. Blessing is one of the most powerful things. And you know what? Religion doesn't want you to bless anybody. Judgment doesn't want you to bless anybody. Criticism doesn't want you to bless anybody. The examination of your eyes doesn't want you to bless anybody because you 
see that they don't deserve it. You've already, you've already evaluated that. They don't deserve it. Guess what? Welcome to the club. Neither do you. Oh, holy one, could I announce? Oh, holy one, could I announce? You don't deserve it either. Why would you withhold the phraseology of blessing? Why would you withhold that when you yourself don't deserve it except by his grace? Right? Romans chapter 2, 1 says, Why do you judge when you do the same things of those, as those that you're judging? Would you calm down? Would you just look in the mirror? Jesus said, would you, would you stop examining the toothpick in your brother's eye and get the beam out of yours? Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, everywhere, everywhere we go, we go into the Oxford homes. Uh, we go into these transition homes. We go to the motels yesterday. We, we go to the motels yesterday. We, we're not asking people, can we see your spiritual inventory list? Like before we, before we pray for you, we want to see if you've been holy this week. Does any porn come into this motel room? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, we know you've seen some. All right. Okay, not praying for you. Let's stand back from the motel door a little bit. Ah, fire! Come down. Blessing is the breakthrough tool of the believer. Blessing releases the grace of God to work. And we have to realize that we are the delegates, the ambassadors, the ministers of reconciliation. And the key is blessing. Acts 10.38, it says that Jesus went about doing good. Jesus, who was anointed of God, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So then we get all excited about healing, and we get all excited about oppression. And we get all excited about devils. But can I cook that down for you, what Jesus was really doing? He was meeting the felt need of people by blessing them. They didn't have to do anything to work up to it. They didn't have to qualify. They didn't have to fill out an application. They didn't have to show a holiness score. Jesus went about blessing people according to their felt need. It just so happens that in his day, the majority of the felt need was physical sickness and demon oppression. That may not be the felt need of those around you, so don't think you don't have a ministry. In Acts chapter 8, we get excited about these passages. I am the chief of all excitement over these passages. Acts chapter 8, it says that Philip went down to Samaria. And it says that he prayed for the people there. And it says they got all excited. And it says that many were delivered and many healed. And it even says that demons came out with shrieks. Everybody say shrieks. That was an exciting day. Okay. Do we have the shrieks version up there? 
coming out with a shouting with a loud voice, okay? We don't have the shriek translation. I don't know which translation that was, but it was really powerful, the shriek translation, okay? There it is. They found the shriek translation with shrieks, okay? So then we get excited about that. That's what we want. We want shrieks. We're not a spiritual church unless we have shrieks. Were they, I mean, we put the emphasis, we put this emphasis on deliverance and healing, but really what was Philip doing when he went down to Samaria? We're talking about a bound people. We're talking about a people who, who I mean, they, their lives were nothing like ours now. We live in the light of 2,000 years of gospel. Philip was simply meeting the felt needs of the people by blessing them. By blessing them. By blessing them. I have found this to be the most powerful weapon on the planet is I just say to people, I just I want to bless you right now. I just want to bless you right now. And I just begin to speak blessing over people, and I'm telling you what, their heart melts and they open up and the Holy Spirit opens up my mind and my heart to begin to see exactly what to pronounce over them. And I'm telling you, walls come down and things begin to change. And I didn't need to know a spiritual inventory. I didn't need you hear what I'm saying? And it, when somebody shares a felt, you're at work, and somebody shares a felt need with you, I mean, you can just, you can bless them right into their breakthrough, and they don't need to show you their holiness checklist. You can bless them into transformation. You can bless them into change. You can bless somebody into the goodness of God. And you know what? This is how God wins our heart. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that it's God's kindness that draws us to repentance. What's repentance? Change my mind about God. You know, I used to think God was against me. I used to think God was a bummer. I used to think God was the cosmic killjoy. I used to think God wanted to ruin every day. I used to think God was just such a drag. But I've changed my mind about God. Because it's His kindness that draws us to change our mind about God. Isn't that crazy? Listen to a couple verses and we'll close. I'm almost out of words. Yeah. First Peter 3.9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. I, I know this is kind of weird. I'm reading out of the Bible right now. And the Bible is one of these, this is like the strangest book on the planet because it's going to mess with every natural thought that we have and natural feeling and emotion. And so, therefore, we just take up our little cross and put ourselves to death because, because if you, whatever in us wants to insult right back is not of God. And it will not cause us to reign in life and allow us to invade culture with God's goodness. On the contrary, 
Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you might inherit a blessing. Oh my goodness, you mean my blessing is tied up in me blessing those who curse me? Uh Uh-oh. Did you hear that? My blessing is tied up in blessing those who curse me, who insult me. That's crazy. Want more blessing? Want more blessing? It's tied up in blessing those who pay us evil. Listen to Romans twelve fourteen. 14. Uh, um, actually, where do I want to pick it up? Uh, Romans 12. What did I do to myself? There it is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate it with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, go out of your way to make sure you're at peace 19, do not take revenge. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that crazy? Stand with me as we prepare to close. I want to read Matthew 5 to you. There's there's more we could go into. We don't have time for it. But I just know the Holy Spirit's doing His work within our hearts. He is so excited about you reigning in life. His thoughts are toward you. Psalm 139. We cannot count the sum of His thoughts toward us. Thoughts that are good. Thoughts for increase. Thoughts for blessing. Thoughts wherein we cooperate with the Spirit of grace, the abundance of grace that we've received, and the gift of righteousness. Listen to Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Don't even tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even pagans do that. But be perfect as your Father is perfect. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Everybody say blessing. Three keys. Prayer. Prayer that binds the enemy and releases, welcomes the blessing of God in the culture where He's placed me in my work atmosphere. Excellence, because I'm not working for men. I'm actually working to please my Father. Fulfilling things that He's ordained for me to walk in this day that are related to my purpose, that flow out of my identity as His Son of whom He needs in culture, in this moment, in this generation, right now. And then bless, because this is His nature, this is His heart, to release blessing. For the felt needs of those around me and in my environment. These are keys to reigning in life. Keys to superimposing His glory into the sphere of influence that He's given me because I work, live, and rule from a dominant place. place of influence, a place of dominion, a place of overcoming power, because I reign in life. Amen? Heads bowed, eyes closed, all across the auditorium. I just want you to soak it in. Soak it in. Soak it in.